0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Sanford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now, your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I have the joy today of speaking to one of our Beeson alums, Tommy Lambert. Tommy, welcome to the Beeson Podcast.
1: Thank you, Dr. George. It's such a pleasure to be here.
0: I remember you so well as a student and, you know, I, I, I want to begin just by asking you to tell us what's life been like for you after Beeson? What are you doing and uh, where have you been?
1: Uh, I've been a variety of places. Uh, After I graduated in 2002, which seems actually just like yesterday in many ways, but then a a long journey uh, in other ways. But after I graduated, the first year, I uh, spent some time with my daughter who had a health issue, so she had a lung transplant. So that happened in 2003. And then after that, in 2004, I was called to be on staff of my own personal local church, which is Hunter Street Baptist Church. And I served at Hunter Street for eight years as the a uh, single adult minister and then married adult minister and women's minister. and uh, from there I uh, resigned that position in 2011 again due to my daughter's health issues and in uh, 2013, November of 2013, which is just 18 months ago, she went to heaven. And uh, from there, just uh, two months ago, I was called by Briarwood Presbyterian Church to launch a new nonprofit organization. It's a community-based nonprofit organization that's ecumenical and open to the entire city called Women's Business Leaders. And that's been my journey in a nutshell for the last 14 years.
0: I want to talk a little bit about your daughter who went to heaven. You actually have four daughters, right? A Lauren, Lee, Lara, and then Amy. Tell yes. us about Amy. Amy, uh,
1: it, uh, my family is blended. Uh, my daughters, Amy and Lauren, are my biological daughters, and Lee and Laura are my stepdaughters, but we blended our family very nicely when my husband and I married almost 19 years ago. And Amy is uh, da- my, my youngest daughter and number two of our four daughters. Amy was born in 1985 in Louisiana, And she was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis when she was two months old. And her presentation with uh, cystic fibrosis was a little unusual. She had liver disease rather than lung disease when she was an infant. And it wasn't until she was about five years old that her lung disease began. And by that time, I'd transferred. I'd gone through a divorce from her biological father, and I'd been transferred with my job to Birmingham, which is how I ended up here, and that happened in 1989, and so when she was five years old, she began being treated here at Children's Hospital of Alabama with lung disease, and again, she had an unusual presentation of her lung disease in that it was asymmetrical. It was in her right lung, and so by the time she was nine years old, she needed to have the lower lobe of her right lung removed and that happened at nine and then while I was at Beeson when she was fifteen she needed to have her entire right lung removed which was a unique circumstance that had never happened in a cystic fibrosis patient before.
0: What is cystic fibrosis?
1: Cystic fibrosis is an inherited disease. Uh, It's recessive, which means that both parents will carry the gene. And uh, even though both parents carry the gene, with each pregnancy, there's a 25% chance that a child will be born with cystic fibrosis. And so Amy's older sister did not... um, Carry, was not born with those genes so she she's normal and doesn't have cystic fibrosis but Amy uh, uh, was born with each of the recessive genes from both both myself and her father so she carries manifest the uh, symptoms and, and the issues of the disease and all of her DNA.
0: I remember we were praying for you during that time you were a student here and, and Amy was going through some of these surgical procedures
1: yes Uh what happened while I was here in 2001 was, was this issue with her right lung. She had had the lower lobe removed and then slowly, progressively, from the time she was nine to 15, the disease affected the remainder of her right lung such that in 2001, when she was 15, it was, her right lung was completely scarred. So a, a, re- a normal person can have a lung taken out and live a very normal, productive life. But a person with cystic fibrosis, uh it presents a, a bigger challenge for two reasons the the disease will just begin to progress in the other lung. And uh, a lung transplant is ultimately the um, the measure that allows extended life in a cystic fibrosis patient. But if you remove a lung, then all of the internal organs in the thoracic cavity shift. And so it makes uh, you a person excluded from the possibility of having a lung transplant. So that's a lot of information just to say that, If you remove the lung of a cystic fibrosis patient, they are excluded from the possibility of a lung transplant. So what happened to us in 2001 is she needed to have her right lung taken out, but to do so would exclude her from the possibility of a transplant. Her doctors here made a lot of phone calls, and they found a doctor in St. Louis who said, I'll do it. And what I'll do to prevent the uh, shifting of organs is I'll place a spacer, which is essentially a saline bag, in her chest cavity, and we will also list her for transplant in St. Louis, which will prevent other centers that would exclude her. Uh, so we'll, we'll guarantee that she's listed for transplant. So we traveled to St. Louis in 2001, and all of you here were praying yeah. for us for that to be a successful uh, process. And it was. She had the first surgery, which removed the disease lung. Three weeks later, she had the second surgery where they placed the spacer. Three weeks later, we were home. And And I was back at Beeson. I took one semester off. I was back at Beeson for the summer semester. That happened in February. She was back at school the the Monday after we returned on a Saturday. And, And things went well for two years and then when she was a senior in high school again in february uh she had an exacerbation which means she got uh, a respiratory illness and it caused the left lung which had slowly begun to be begun to deteriorate over those two years to uh have a, a decline that wouldn't recover her pulmonary functions at that point which is were 15% which the normal person's is 100%. So at that point we knew it was time for her to have the transplant.
0: Now, um, when did she go to heaven?
1: It was November 1st, 2013.
0: Okay, uh, so a couple of years ago. Uh, it
1: was about 18 months ago, yeah. yes.
0: Uh, I have a two-part question, okay. uh, and maybe you could answer them separately. One, uh, talk about Amy, Okay. as this began to dawn on her, and of course she she was intimately aware of it as it was unfolding, How how, how did she deal with that? I was impressed to learn that her life verse in the Bible was Psalm 118.17, which says, I will not die, but live and proclaim what God has done. So I want you to talk a little bit about Amy, your daughter. And then I want to ask you if you can reflect a little bit about you as her mother and as a woman of faith. First Amy, then you.
1: Sure. It's a pleasure to tell you about Amy. Amy exuded the fruit of the spirit she from the time she was a small child was in love with the Lord and I really am uh, just so excited to tell you about how she came to claim Psalm 118 as her life verse we were lying in bed when she was nine years old and I was reading her Psalm 118 and I really wanted to get to verse 24 this is the day that the Lord has made. Mm-hmm. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And uh, so we were reading through it, but we were actually just in our Bible study reading through the Psalms. But when we got to 118, I'm thinking, oh, she's going to really love verse 24. So I was reading through it, and I got to verse 17, and she said, Mom, stop. And this, this is a nine-year-old child, and she said, Mom, stop. And she said, Read it again. And so I read it again. I will not die but live and proclaim the works of the Lord. And she said, That's my verse. And I said, What do you mean, baby? She said, Jesus lives in my heart. And she said, um, Regardless of what happens to me, I'm not going to die. But as long as I'm alive, I'm going to live my life so that people know. That Jesus is in my life. This was a nine-year-old girl talking what to an me.
0: Yeah, what they?
1: And yes, and she had the wisdom of 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 your you know eighty-year-old person who has lived life to the fullest in that nine-year-old mind, and she lived that way. She taught me so much. It would be we would just be sitting at home having a conversation and a wise nugget like that would come out of her mouth. Mm. And, uh, and I was blessed like that day in and day out, week in and week out to have wisdom and insight come from her. And the Lord blessed her with that kind of, of outlook on life. And it's a byproduct, I think, from having, uh, a life where you know that uh, that you're you're fighting for your survival on this earth every day, and so she recognized the the beauty of the common grace that surrounds her. That's she right. saw God yeah. in everything, mm-hmm. and so these wise sayings would come from her. Where we run through life at a hectic space, sometimes uh, pace, sometimes going helter skelter, and take life for granted, she embraced life and she lived life with zest and enthusiasm and she lived it with gusto and she lived fast and furiously but at the same time she lived slowly and embraced it and there was such a balance there in and living with with zest and also recognizing and being slow and and being still and and knowing god
0: you know, I don't know if you know that was Martin Luther's favorite psalm, one one eighteen. He wrote a wonderful commentary on Psalm one eighteen, and for any of our listeners, uh, if you haven't read Psalm one eighteen in a while, uh, go back and read it, and pay a special attention to verse seventeen in the light of what we just heard about Amy and how that spoke to her life and and lifted her up uh, in a time of uh, life where where she was seeking hope and a new beginning. Now, talk about yourself, her mom. Uh, what's it like how How did you cope with this in terms of being a person of faith and your relationship to god
1: i the Dean George it is a journey, and the first realization that I had, even the night that she left, is that my faith is a fact when she left that night i My heart was crushed, and I knew, I had the intellectual knowledge as a believer that God had taken her and that her hope was complete. I knew who she was with and where she was and that her joy was complete. At the same time, her being in her place of greatest joy and her journey being complete left me in a place of my greatest hurt and my greatest pain. And so coping with that began at 746 on November 1st, 2013. Now, if, if you will allow me, I will tell Which, you. Which, by the way, is
0: All Souls Day, November the 1st.
1: And that also was an answered prayer. On October 31st, 2013, the doctors and the nurses told me that she was going to leave. And I know that it seems it may be may seem a little strange and even silly but I couldn't bear the thought of a person who lived a life as Amy lived and who embraced the Lord as Amy did leaving this world on Halloween, a day that's that's dedicated to paganism. And I prayed, and I said, Lord, please don't take her on this day. My heart was so broken, and I had been praying for him somehow to let her stay with us. And so there was even in my mind, uh, will this prayer be answered, or will you say no to this one just like you said no? to allowing her to stay but he didn't take her that day he let he allowed her to live and he took her to be with him on all saints day Day.
0: and so she went to join the great company of saints on On all saints 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 day Day. and and that that. was such a
1: blessing and um and then the way he took her was was also um a blessing we, um, on that day, I, I watched her carefully and I had come over the years to be able to really be able to read her monitors. She was on a ventilator with a trach and so she was able to, to function and be awake on a ventilator, and um, and she was able to breathe over it, and she'd been breathing over the ventilator all the way through October 31st, and on the morning of November 1st, she was no longer, longer breathing over the ventilator, and I was watching it, and I watched it all day, and she hadn't had any, uh, any uh, connection uh, with the ventilator, and she hadn't had any breaths with the ventilator, and so... That evening, the nurse came in and said, I think it's time that we start cutting the ventilator back. Amy is not, um, she's not there with it. And so I said, I think you're right. And so. They had also told me that because she had normal vital signs, that once they turned the ventilator off, she would actually remain alive with normal vital signs, and her vital signs would slowly um, decrease until she left, and that would take a couple of hours. And so they started turning her vent down and they turned it down from 30 breaths a minute to 15 breaths a minute, which is normal breathing, and she didn't respond. And they left it there for some few minutes, and then they turned it down to five breaths a minute, and she still didn't respond. Her favorite hymn is the new hymn, Revelation Song. And I asked my husband to get her iPad and turn turn it on and play Revelation Song. And he did. He brought it over to the bed. I was in the bed with her. She was in my arms. I was holding her hand. And as soon as he turned on Revelation song, her breathing started. And she started breathing 15 times a minute. And she began to squeeze my hand. And she was squeezing my hand to the rhythm of the music. And I started singing in her ear. And in my mind, I was praying, Oh, Lord, are you giving her back to me? And I thought that she was coming back. And so the song, and we all know that are that are familiar with the song, know that the words of the song come from the verses in Revelation, where the saints are around the throng, saints in heaven mm-hmm. are around the throng, praising the Lord, saying, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come." And we were praising the Lord in that way through that song. And so, Amy. Is praising him, squeezing my hand as the song is being sung, and she's breathing. And the last measure of the song, my husband said, She's gone. And I looked up, she was flatlined. So God walked her from praising him with the saints around the throne here to praising him with the saints around the throne in heaven. Her nurses that were there, and she was surrounded by nurses. She was so well-loved in the medical intensive care unit. But her her primary nurse and a nurse here from Birmingham who loved us and who flew in and spent the last week with us had both been at the deathbed of patients for 30 years. And they said they'd never seen anything like that, to have normal vital signs, but to just immediately go to heaven like that. Mm-hmm. So. The nurse who was our friend who came from Birmingham, who's also a Christian friend of mine from church, said that was the holiest death that she had experienced. And so it was indeed a gift from God just to walk her from this life into heaven, worshiping with the saints around the throne through the words of Revelation.
0: I'm speaking with Tommy Lambert. She's a graduate of Beeson Divinity School. She's the founder, the director of the Women Business Leaders Birmingham-Based Ministry for Women. We want to talk about that in a minute, but I just want to thank you for sharing this deep personal story, the courage that you show in doing that, to think through it again and to share with us some of the highs and lows of this very dark but very meaningful experience of your own daughter and you know, people are listening to this, um, who go through all kinds of experiences. And I wonder if you would have a word to say to somebody. There's no experience like your daughter that was unique, but there are people who face life crises all the time like this. Uh, people of faith. Uh, say, can you say a word to them that will maybe help them, give them some hope in this, in this kind of time?
1: I would say that God is there, Dean George. When Amy left, I was aware that I had faith, and that was my comfort, because my heart was crushed. And so I started quoting the verse with Job, Though you slay me, still I will hope in you. And then I started thinking, I mean, the the very word crushed was in my mind. And I started thinking about the verse in Isaiah, where it delighted the father to crush the son. And I thought, I can't comprehend that because I could never be delighted at Amy leaving because my heart is so crushed for her to be away from me now on this earth Mm -hmm. forever. The only way I will see her is with my passing into heaven. Mm -hmm. And so I started to focus on what God has done for me And that he's gifted me with the opportunity to see her again by crushing his son and being delighted in that crushing because the delight that he experienced was the crushing of sin. Mm. And, and the, the experience of the son was the necessity, that crushing was the necessity in order for sin to be crushed so that we have the possibility of of reunion with our loved ones, and the possibility to live and proclaim him here Mm. so that as many as will and as many as God is called can be with him in the future and can live and proclaim him here.
0: That he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. So that Isaiah 53 that's quoted so often in the New Testament. You no know, in in the uh, Anglican service of burial there's a phrase where where it is said dust to dust ashes to ashes the body is committed back to the ground from which it came and then there's the statement in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection and so we understand that death is not a wall it is a door an entrance into the presence of God in a way that we don't really know as fully in this world as we can in the next. And you're right there at the borderline between these two worlds as your daughter left this one and, and entered that one in the presence of God. It's a great story. Thank thank you for sharing this uh, with our listeners today. Um, I want to talk a little bit about you okay. uh, and what's happening in your life okay. because exciting things are happening okay. for you. Uh, I'm really pleased to see how God is using you in the development of the Women Business Leaders. Tell us, what is the Women Business Leaders? How are you involved in it?
1: Okay. Women Business Leaders uh, is uh, an organization slash ministry that's established to help women in the workplace have an opportunity to network, build community, be discipled, and address those issues that are unique to women of faith in the workplace. There was a uh, a survey by Barna not too long ago mm-hmm. that surveyed people in the workplace and we learned from that survey that seventy-five percent of the people in the workplace long to fulfill a sense of calling in the workplace. Um, and speaking of Martin Luther, Martin Luther is the first person to use the word vocero, vocation, uh, to describe working in this, uh, working outside of the church offices, and so so to work um, to to have a secular vocation because um, because all. Work is is loving God and loving people, and uh, so anyway, that was uh, was made evident by this uh, Barna survey. So, generally, seventy five percent of the people said that they long for a sense of calling in their work, and when we we looked at the the women, sixty two percent of women uh, are looking for that sense of calling but yet they feel torn they they feel that life is out of balance only almost 50% of women feel like their local churches aren't addressing mm-hmm. their needs as working women and it it um it gets ha- to be a higher percent than that if they're working women with children and so uh and then when when the uh, audience was uh, or the, the those who were surveyed were questioned about about how the church is addressing uh, the needs of those who are working through sermons. It had been over three years since the average person had heard a sermon on work. Uh, so we hear sermons on spiritual disciplines and evangelism and a variety of other topics, but uh, but the topic of work is mm-hmm. not typically addressed mm-hmm. in our in our sermons and, and from the pulpit. So it seems that a gap in the local church is addressing work and vocation. So what we hope to do with uh, women business leaders is to provide uh, a place to come alongside the church and help women who are in vocations address those unique needs that they have as women in the workplace and to form community and disciple.
0: And you'll do this through conferences, through networking, through resource providing?
1: The entry point is uh, most first Saturdays we have a brunch or a breakfast, mm-hmm. and that allows women to come in and experience women business leaders. Uh, the first 30 minutes of our breakfast is Just the opportunity to make friends, to visit, to say hello, uh, to connect, to network. And we bring in a speaker and that speaker is a woman who shares her story. She is a woman who has had uh, a walk in the business world. She's had some level of success, but she is also authentic and she tells her personal story and her business story. And she tells how Christ has been there integrating the two. And, uh, and so the women have are able to see that um, work and life is a mosaic Mm. and it's a tapestry and it's knitted together and they're not compartmentalized. And then our speaker opens herself up to Q&A and they're able to ask her anything that they want to ask. And so from that perspective, the women are able to understand what women business leaders can offer them. And then from there, uh, we are working on the ministry model where we ha- will have discipleship classes and um, and newsletters and also more workshops, a variety of other learning opportunities for women to go deeper than those entry-level sure. speaking.
0: It's a wonderful uh, ministry of encouragement, networking, yeah. and I wish you every blessing with it. That's Thank a great you. calling. Thank and you. you're perfect to lead this, too, I think. God has gifted you uniquely with that kind of relational skill and vision for, for this. You also have a new website. I want you to talk a little bit about blog.liveandproclaim.com. What is that blog, liveandproclaim.com?
1: Uh, I will tell you a bit about that. When uh, when Amy left and um, and I started seeking the Lord for his comfort, she um, of course, her verse came, to, uh, was an integral part of leading me through those dark hours. And, uh, what I wanted to do was crawl into myself and my home and disappear and stay there. And the words of that verse, I will not die but live and proclaim what the Lord has done, was with me. The way Amy lived in such a vivacious, Lord-loving manner was with me and that she had a death call essentially hanging over her life for 28 years but she never she never even considered that death was in her future <laughs> even until those last few weeks it was just not something that she embraced life was what she embraced and and living and proclaiming the lord was what she embraced and so that was before me and i thought um the verse, uh, death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? Um, that was before me. And I was thinking, of course, conquering death and conquering that sting, uh, is, is it's essentially that we've conquered sin and we get to go to heaven. But our eternal life starts here. Mm. And the gospel saves us for heaven, but it saves us to begin our eternal life here. And we begin to live and proclaim right here, right now, by living our fullest for the Lord here. And so I said, okay, Lord, where would you have me live and proclaim? And I didn't know. Uh, I had hoped that I would go back on staff at my church. Uh, I loved the service that I had had at Hunter Street. I'd been a member at Hunter Street for 20 years. I'd been on staff there for eight years prior to Amy being sick. The idea of going back to Hunter Street gave me a sense of comfort. I thought that that would be very healing for me, but the Lord said no, that um, I had been gone for three years. Um, the responsibilities that I had had been disseminated in other places. The church, you know, my life had gone in a different way caring for Amy, and the church obviously needed to move in different directions with the ministries that I'd been responsible for. And so that wasn't an option for me. So I started praying, and I, I was at Hunter Street at a missions conference, and I ran into a young woman who was a friend of Amy's and who was— um, do chatting with me at the missions conference and she said what are you gonna do with your life now and I said I'm praying to see where the Lord would lead me next and as we were chatting she said She had the smile and and like her eyes lit up. She said, you know what, Tommy, I'm serving on the steering committee of a group of women who have a soft launch of a ministry. And it looks as if we are actually, this ministry is actually going to form into an organization, a nonprofit organization. It's been launched by Briarwood. So she started describing women business leaders. And she said, "Uh, we uh, think that it's time to hire a director. And would you send me your resume so that I can send it to the executive director of Young Business Leaders, who is the brother of the men's organization that's been established since 1981? And uh, so that would be the hiring entity for women business leaders. So she said, would you send me your resume? And I did. And uh in order for all things to fall into place and job descriptions to be written and, um, and everything to happen, it took six months. But that was uh, May of last year, and I was offered the job in January of this year.
0: Well, my guest today on the Beeson podcast is Tommy Lambert. She is the founding director of the newly established Women Business Leaders Birmingham-based ministry for women who want to impact their community for Jesus Christ as they carry out their calling in the world, in the business world. Uh, She has a Master of Divinity degree from Beeson Divinity School and an executive MBA from the University of Alabama. So you have all the degrees you probably ever need to do this good work that God has called you to do. And I just want to thank you again for sharing your heart, your story, your your journey with Amy. And God bless you in all that you're doing to touch the lives of so many people with the gospel, with the good news.
1: Thank you, Dr. George.